I just want to welcome the Hillside ET1 and Seaside campuses that are going to be getting the sermon today through video. We are praying that everything with the upload and download will go smoothly. Whether you get the word of God from somebody who's live preaching in person, or whether you get it through an MP3 file or a video stream, uh, the word of God being preached is what transforms lives. Because the word of God is living and active. Amen? Can I get an amen, E101? Yeah. You too, Seaside. And of course, Sydney, who's watching it live with us right now. All right, very good. Turn with me to Ephesians 2.19. Ephesians 2.19. This is your first time today at New Philly. I want to welcome you. I want to encourage everyone, please bring your Bible to church. It's not a traditional thing. It's a Christian thing. <laughs> Carry your Bible. I don't care if you have your iPhone. I don't care if it's heavy. Then buy a smaller Bible. But carry your sword. We're raising up an army of mighty warriors. You need to have the word of God in your hand and also written on your heart. When the devil tempts you, you got to be able to bring out your sword and cut yourself loose. Carry your Bible. Ephesians 2.19. If you don't have your Bible today, God bless you. It's okay. You didn't know. But now you know. When you return, please bring your Bible. Ephesians 2.19. We're going to look at a bunch of verses today. So I need you to actually open your Bible. And we're going to look at the Word of God. Look at Ephesians 2.19 through 21. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. How many of you guys in here, you appreciate good architecture? You appreciate good architecture? The rest of y'all, I don't care. As long as there's a roof... And some walls, I'm good. I I personally really appreciate good architecture. I love beautiful and magnificent buildings. Something about it. When I see it, it really impresses me. It really touches the core of my heart. When I traveled through Europe and I saw Notre Dame for the first time, I was just mesmerized. When I saw Big Ben in London, that thing is huge. That's one big clock. But if you really look closely, it's, it's beautifully ornamented. When I went to the Taj Mahal in India, just amazed and wondered how in the world did all these people build these amazing buildings without modern construction cranes? Ever wonder about that? It's amazing. Beautiful. I love even uh, newly built buildings today. The huge skyscrapers. I love the higher it is, the, the, the more I love it. Now, I can't wait to go check out the Barj, Barj Khalif, Khalifa. What's it called? Yeah, some of y'all have been there, all right? You guys, you guys have seen it in person. It's the world's tallest skyscraper uh, located right now uh, in the United Emirates. Is, am I correct? Yeah, I know my, I know my geography. <laughs> I love... Huge skyscrapers. They are gorgeous, beautiful. And I believe this is one of the reasons I love cities so much. The cities are beautiful because of their amazing architecture. But did you know that God is also into architecture? He does. (laughs) If you read here in Ephesians 2.19, it says... You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And check out verse 21. In whom the whole structure, everybody say structure, Structure. being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
The word structure here in the Greek is oikodome. Oikodome. And it means architecture. A structure. And to the church in Corinth, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, You are God's oikodome. You are God's building. You are His structure. And God ain't building up some cheap shack. He's building a magnificent structure. The Bible says that the church is God's architectural masterpiece. The church is his skyscraper, his Notre Dame, his Big Ben. We are God's Taj Mahal. Amen? Amen. And there's a whole story behind the Taj Mahal. It's a story of like love and romance. I don't think it ended that well, but you know. But what God is building in the church is also a story of love and romance. It's a structure. It's a building for which Christ himself died. He died to be the cornerstone for this building. And God, to this day, he is at work. Amen. He is building something. And in order to build anything, you guys know that it takes a lot of work. It takes coordinated work, not random work. It requires a blueprint, a vision. You got to have a strong foundation. You don't want to build up without having a strong foundation. You got to have quality materials. God is building his church today. But it's going to take some work. Ephesians 2.20 says the household of God, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So the labor of the apostles and prophets, these gifted men and women of God, are very important. Because they provide the foundation for which a church can be built. The Bible says they are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The word oikodome means structure, architecture, edifice, but it can also be translated as the act of building, the act of building up. And metaphorically, it means edification. Everybody say edification. edification. What am I trying to say? In order to build up the church, the architectural masterpiece of God, we got to learn how to edify one another. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, the Apostle Paul says, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. But let all things be done for building up. In the ESV, it says building up. In NIV, I believe it says edification. Let all things be done for oikodome, for edification. Everything we do as a people of God ought to be To build up the church. And what is building up the church? What is that all about? It's about people. It's about relationships. It's about bringing others to maturity. It's about helping people to lay down a strong foundation for the Christian faith. And then not ending there, but helping them to start growing upwards. Into telos, into perfection, into completion in the Greek. God is wanting us to edify one another so that we can all come into full maturity, into the image of Christ until his return. This theme of building doesn't originate with the Apostle Paul. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Simon replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. (laughs) And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build oikodome. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The idea of building that same Greek word for building edification. Oikodome, building a structure, a physical structure. He's using that metaphor. Jesus 
originated that metaphor. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Oh, there's a little footnote here, but I'm not, I'm not going to read that. I'm, I'm a, tell me not to read that, all right? It's going it's to put me on a tangent. I'm let that go. Anyway, it has to do with... Um, It has to do with, uh, well, it's, you know, you are Peter on this rock. A lot of people think Jesus is saying, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. But we don't have the luxury of a video of what Jesus said that day. So we don't know what body language he was using. But what we do have is the original Greek text. Now in the English, it gets lost. But in the Greek, it's still there. Jesus is using a wordplay here. Did you know that? Uh, Peter's nickname, his name is Simon, right? Jesus gave him a nickname. He said, you know what? I'm going to call you you Peter. Petros in the Greek. It actually means little pebble. It means little rock, like a little piece of rock. And Jesus, I guess, thought, you know, Simon was cute. So I'm going to call you little rock. (laughs) Hey, little rock, come on, come follow me. He's playing wordplay here. He actually says, you are Peter, you're a little rock. And on... This rock, I will build my... Which rock is he talking about? In the Greek, he actually says, not Petros, he says Petra. Petra is a feminine form of the same word. But it actually means something totally different. It means a huge slab of rock. So, some Catholic interpreters interpret this to mean that Peter was like this like pillar of the faith. And we trace all our faith ancestry back to Peter. The Catholic Church, that's what they say. That's the secession of popes is actually the secession of Peter's authority down through the ages, the apostolic authority succession. But you got to be careful because the Greek word is actually different there. So what Jesus might be saying is, you are Peter. And on this rock, maybe Jesus is saying, on this rock. We don't know because we don't see his body language. But the least thing we could interpret is... What did Peter just say earlier? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus may very well be saying on this revelation of my lordship, of me being the Christ, the king, on this huge slab of rock, I will build my church. And this interpretation is actually found in Peter's writings. Peter talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. He very much understood that the church consists of living stones. But the big stone, the big slab, is Jesus. Anyway, I actually haven't gone into that. Let's move. Let's move. Uh, Jesus also prophesied over a physical building in the Gospels in Mark 13. He came out to the temple. One of his disciples said to him, look, teacher. What wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And they were looking at Herod's temple at that time, which was quite magnificent. Not as magnificent as Solomon's temple, but it got torn down. They rebuilt the Herod's temple. And it was a magnificent building. And Jesus says this. Do you see these great buildings? These great oikodome? You see all these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. They're like, whoa, Jesus, uh, I'm just admiring the building. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Jesus is prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem, which came later in, in, I believe, 70 AD. Jesus is prophesying what is to come, the destruction, the judgment of the city of Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem had rejected her Messiah. The judgment of God was falling once again on that city. And to this day, it hasn't been rebuilt, right? Because why? Because the Muslims are right there, right there occupying it. It says, on this, you see these great buildings? None of these will be standing. And there come a time none of these will be standing. Why was it so important to God to get rid of the Jewish temple? Why? Because the Jewish temple, according to the book of Hebrews, was a symbol... Of the actual reality of a spiritual building, a spiritual temple that was to come and that through Christ now has come. 
So in order to make sure that there is no distraction and no confusion, I believe, and because also of God's punishment and his good, good judgment in punishing Jerusalem, he made sure that the temple is completely gone. So that now you got to be looking for a different kind of okodome, a different kind of building. And it's a building built up of living stones. The opposite of edification is tearing down. And whenever we speak idle words, hurtful words, careless words, or we gossip, we tear down the oikodome structure that God is building. Think of it this way. If you were working on a building project for the last six months and you laid the foundation for it and you start building the fourth and fifth floors of this building and once a week I came by with a sledgehammer and I just came and took a swing at your building, at your walls, at your doors, at your glass windows just because I get a kick out of it. Would you, how would that make you feel? You're working so long and hard to build up this structure, and I'm just carelessly coming by. Hey, let's have some fun. <laughs> Sorry, Anna Hong. <laughs> Look like you just built that wall, but I'm just having so much fun. Let me go. Oh, oh, oh David, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, you know, you just painted that whole wall. Gonna have to do it again. How would that make you feel? I mean, would you just let me continue to do that? If you were building an actual physical structure, would you just let me? You would confront me right away. You come and do that to my building. You know, actually, when we were building the church office last this past year in April, you know, there were some disagreements that we had with a couple of inter, uh, interior design firms. And so this one interior design firm, you know, we didn't have very good closure. And I did my best. I did my best to say, we're not going with y'all. You know, I did it in a gentle, loving, clear manner. But they, they, they thought, hey, hey, no, you, you need to go with us. You signed a contract. I'm like, I ain't signed nothing. I ain't signed nothing. So during the construction phase, especially when we were like 75% finished with the office, like I noticed that they were, there was no locks. There was no locks on the doors. There was no, nothing. Everything was just out in the open. And I was just afraid these interior design guys that we said no to were going to come by and try to destroy the work that had already been done. So I remember, this is just me. I'm, I grew up in the streets of Philly, all right? So... <laughs> You have to understand that I'm a little paranoid when it comes to some of this stuff. So on a couple of the nights, I, I went by. I went by the office. I just went in there, and I was like, hey, this, this, looks, like, this looks like it's been... No, 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 this, this is okay. And I just prayed over that thing. I said, Lord, post your angels here. That if anybody tries to sabotage, even if like a drunkard comes up the elevator and tries to like urinate on our stuff or something like that, some crazy thing like that, that you would just, you know, I don't know, cut off his gallbladder or something. I don't know, like, <laughs> cut, put a stop to his black. I don't know. I was like, Lord, let there be no sabotage of whatsoever. Right? I, if somebody did that to me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave them alone. I would confront them right away. Well, the blueprint of the church is about building as well. It's about building up people. The church consists of living stones. It's not a physical building or a neat organization that puts on a show each week. It's really about an assembled group of saints. It's about people. And so God has been hard at work in building up his church. And he does not want us to carelessly tear it down with our gossip, with our, word, with our hurtful words. And, I, and this, is, this is a message I got to keep, keep to my own heart. You know, sometimes I forget that building up the church is about people. Sometimes I think it's about getting the video stream correct. But you know what? It is, getting the video sermon correct is about people, by the way. Because right now, people are watching in Sydney. And in a couple hours, people will be watching at Itaewon and in Busan. And if this thing ain't straight, then they don't get the word of God. So it is about people. But sometimes in the midst of preparing for that video, you know, you know, I, I chew people's heads out. You know, I, 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 I chew people's heads out. I chew people's heads off. You know, I, 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 I give them an earful, you know. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I, I go back and I sit at my desk and I don't feel good about myself. 
And if I yell at people, and I'm like, what, what, what's wrong with you? You know, I don't, I try not to say that anymore. Sometimes it still slips out. I'm sorry, David, sometimes it slips out. I think I said that to him once. He was like building some like bookshelf for me. And I came out and I was like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? You don't know how to follow directions? It was, it's in Korean. Oh, there's pictures still. There's pictures here. And anyway, I go in my, in my room. I don't feel good about that, right? You know, it's not about the bookshelf. It's about David on. I was like, Lord, come on. Can I yell at anybody? <laughs> well, you already did the yelling, so bring them in. You talk to them. You apologize. Oh, come on. Just... I've got to apologize again. <laughs> anyway, it's about people, right? And God does not take it lightly when we tear it down. So that's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, for edification, that it may give grace to those who hear. We've got to watch our mouths, everyone. We've got to learn how to speak life. When you speak, you always have a choice. Actually, if you really take it up with Pastor Benjamin, my spiritual father's teachings, Actually, I think the choice isn't when you speak. The choice is when you meditate. Because it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. So if you want to change the direction of your words, the, the content of your words, if you're being very critical and negative all the time, then meditate, change your meditation. So that out of the overflow of that heart, your mouth can speak life, encouragement, edification, exhortation. Patience, gentleness, patience, and gentleness. <laughs> I want everyone to turn to Romans fourteen nineteen, And I want to look at this because this is the main theme of my sermon today. Romans fourteen nineteen. I'm going to read an ESV here. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In the NIV, it says mutual edification. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual edification. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, mutual edification. Mutual edification. Sydney, turn to each other. Mutual edification. And my message today is very simple. The goal of all healthy, loving, life-giving relationships must be mutual edification. The goal must be mutual edification. And if you really study the dynamics of a loving relationship, of a relationship based on not the love of the world, but on the love of God, you will realize that the goal of that love must be mutual edification. In a marriage, the goal must be mutual edification. If the husband thinks, my wife is here to serve me, she is my helpmate. So woman, go do the dishes, iron my clothes, I can warm up my car. <laughs> and don't make, don't make me say it again. Right? If the husband's attitude and thinking is like that, good luck. That, mar- that marriage needs some serious counseling. In a small group, between small group leader and small group member, there should be mutual edification eventually. If Christ was only in the small group leader, then maybe we can be excused from this. But the Bible tells us that Christ is in each and every one of you, the hope of glory. Not only the small group leader, but the small group members. 
Perhaps in the beginning, the small group leader pours out her prayers, time, and love. But in the long run, there should be mutual edification. All the small group leaders said. That's why we do the leadership banquet here in New Philly. What's the leadership banquet about? It's about your selfish butt received all this ministry for the last year. Haven't shown an ounce of thanksgiving. And Pastor Christian is giving you a swift kick in the butt and telling you at least do it for one evening of the year. And maybe they'll help start a pattern in your life. What's the leadership banquet all about? It's about honoring those who've sown into us. There should be mutual edification. Between Pastor Benjamin and myself, one of the first things that Pastor Benjamin taught me when we first started our relationship, our covenant relationship as a spiritual father and son, he told me, I'm going to sow into you. I'm going to speak life into, your, into you. Make no mistake about it. There's going to be mutual edification between us. And in fact, I've already been blessed. I've been so blessed by you, Christian. And by Aaron, when we spend time with you and then we leave Korea, our hearts long for you. My my whole body burns to be with you again. (laughs) And he talked to me like this. And then he taught me, he said, you know, every good love-centered relationship should result in mutual edification. This is the way it should be. It's just that the church has lost her way. There should be more relationships in the church. When people reach maturity, there should be mutual edification going on. And from day one, Pastor Benjamin has taught me not only to receive, but to give. Not only to hear, but to speak. Sometimes he'll just be like, what, what are you guys doing over there with this? And I'll be like, oh, you know, we're doing this. Man. You know, David Allen did this. So, you know, I was about, you know, and then that happened with the video. And, you know, but, you know, this, this is what we're doing. He's like, that's awesome. I don't know why I never thought of that. We're going to implement that in Living Hope next week. I'm like, just like a passing conversation. And it mutually edified. We, we, I edified him and built up his ministry. That's the way it should be. There should be mutual edification. In a church. Between pastor and his congregation. There should be mutual edification. Yeah. There's some of that going on here in New Philly. I get edified by y'all. Praise the Lord. But it's sad, but a lot of churches, there's too many leeches. Consumer-minded Christian leeches. You know what a leech is? Let me tell you something today. Don't be a leech. Don't be a leech. Don't be a leech. You know what a leech is? A leech is a parasitic worm that lives by sucking the blood of other animals. So if you go inside a nasty swamp or pond that has leeches in it, and you come up out, I saw a movie one time, it freaked me out. Some guy came out out of the water, and there were all these like worms attached to his body. And we're like, ah, what is that? Oh, these are just leeches. Oh, they're little cute things. You just take them, and, and they're, they're attached to, they attach to your skin, and they start drinking your blood right away. I believe God made leeches just to tell us, don't be a leech. (laughs) Let me make these nasty animals, these nasty little worms, to show you what Christians may end up doing later on. Don't be a leech. The Apostle Paul in the Bible argued that if he has sown spiritually into his churches... Is it too big of a thing for him to reap materially? He was about to ask for help from some of his churches that he built up. That he helped to plant and water and build up. He was going to these churches and he was trying to take an offering. He was trying to ask for help. He was trying to collect some money here so he can give it from an abundance and give it to where there is need. But whenever he came to some of these churches, they were like giving him the cold shoulder. But don't be asking for no offering here. And so when he wrote, he was like, what is going on? If I have sown spiritually into y'all, is it too hard of a thing for me to ask you if I can reap a little materially? And up until this day, I haven't, I haven't taken nothing from y'all materially. I worked my butt off when I was in that city. 
And so did my spiritual sons that I sent. They were never a burden to you. I never took nothing from you. And I can't ask for a little bitty offering. And he, he, he was like, I, I'm about to bring the whip. I wish I could just bring the whip, but I'm going to calm down. That's what Apostle Paul essentially said. Between the pastor and his congregation, there, there should be mutual edification. If the teachings that Aaron and I are giving you, they're building you up. They're helping you to mature. They're renewing your mind. It's transformed your life. There should be some mutual edification. I, I'm, not, I'm talking about like money, like give me money or something like that. Look, we're good. We're, we have an abundance, all right? But I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like how hard is, is it for you to, you know, and people do this. And that's why I can't really like rebuke y'all because you're doing it already. But you know what? You can do it even more. There's people that will come up to me and, and like, you know, last three weeks, you know, no, sisters, none of the brothers have done this yet, but sisters will come up to me and they'll be like, Pastor Christian, I never said hi to you before. And I'll be like, hey, how are you? <laughs> and I just, I just want, I, I just want to say that um, I've been listening to your sermons for the last six months and I've just been coming out and I've just been so healed and I've never felt more alive than this before. <laughs> and they just, they just say something to just be like, I just want to encourage you that what you are doing means the world to me. I see Christ in you. I see the love of the Father through your leadership. I just want to tell you thank you. And that builds me up. You know? That builds me up. <laughs> you should do that for your small group leaders. You should do that for your pastors. Do it for your worship team leaders. Do it for your worship pastors. Do it. There should be mutual edification going on. Oh, no, but he's the leader. He's supposed to just tough it out. He's supposed to pour out all, all of all he's got onto us. No, knucklehead. It's not the biblical precedence. It's not the picture of love God gives us. The picture of love is mutual edification. You see, the church as a whole, in a lot of churches, there's a lot, there's too many opportunists. You know what an opportunist is? These are people who build relationships only to accomplish their personal agenda. I got a mission trip to uh, Thailand coming up. I got a mission trip to Cambodia. I'm speaking here. I'm speaking there. And so they ask you for a favor. They ask you for some prayer. They want you to do them a favor all the time. But when you ask for one, they make you feel like you're inconveniencing their entire world. So you be like, all right, all right, fine. I did all them favors for you, but that's the way it's going to be. Right? They're opportunists. People who make you feel like that. Opportunists are people who never come to the prayer meeting. But when they do, it's because they got to make an announcement. Or it's so that they can complete new leaders training. Or missions training. That's the attitude of an opportunist. Or, or they show up to some church event because there's free food. Now, no. If you're a struggling Christian or you're backslidden, you need to come back to the Lord. Look, God bless you that you're showing up for the free food. But if you are a mature believer and you're only showing up to those church events because of free food, you got to do a heart check right now. That's the attitude of an opportunist. And guess what? Nobody wants to be best friends with an opportunist. And I'm sorry to say, but Korean missionaries have a terrible reputation for being an opportunist. You know, when we go out on the field, we talk to indigenous pastors. And you know what they tell us? They complain about Korean missionaries all the time. They say that the Korean missionaries, they don't want any relationship. All they want to do is give, give, give. But they don't know how to receive and listen. And it's all about their own personal ministry, but not about building up the local ministries. So they, there's this complaint that there's a lot of uh, opportunist attitudes among Korean missionaries. You know, I, I think we need, to, we need to do a hard check whether that's true or not. And this is why I love the uh, IHOP leaders, International House of Prayer leaders that come through our church. You know, guys like Rodney Henderson, Stephen Bochan, even when Alan Hood, the president of the IHOP U, when he came by, man, it was a mutual edification. 
like Alan Hood knew nothing about New Philly. And Stephen Beauchamp told him a little bit, and he came to our, our prayer meeting. Alan Hood, if you guys don't know who Alan Hood is, he's a big, big speaker. He's going to speak at the One Thing Conference in a few weeks. He's the president of IHOPU. He came by New Philly one time, and, and he just looked at us, and he was like, what, what's God doing here at New Philly? And so I just shared. I was just like, blah, 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 blah. I was just, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know what I was saying. I was sharing, and he was, that's incredible. What did you say? Ten-year commitments? Wow. That's powerful, Christian. He has these big eyes. I felt like I was completely naked. <laughs> Ten-year commitment. That's awesome. That's beautiful. You know, Christian, God loves it. God loves, Jesus loves 20-somethings. 20 you know, Jesus loves young people. You see it in the scriptures. He just loves young people. But you know what he loves even more? When those young people make commitments to honor him in their youth. That's awesome. Like He just like honored us. Just based on like a little bit of sharing I did. And then when he spoke, he, he poured into us. But he also, edif- he also edified us and allowed him. He expressed that he was edified by hearing about what's going on in New Philly. That's when I know that, that there's a speaker when he comes. That's when I know I want to work with that guy again. If a speaker comes and they're like, I'm the speaker today and I'm going to preach and you will be blessed. And then I will leave and take my honorarium and I will pray for you occasionally when I remember. If a speaker gives off that kind of attitude, I'm like, all right, well, won't be inviting him again. But when the speaker's like, wow, that's incredible what God's doing here. Why are y'all on fire for Jesus so much? Why are you so joyful? There's the power of the Holy Spirit is just moving here. You know, and they, when they take the time to express that they have been blessed by their visit, not only that they came to bless us, I know that that's a relationship headed toward mutual edification. Everybody say mutual edification. Parents and their children. There should be, yes. <laughs> Serious. I'm talking to you. And Zoe, I'm talking to you too. Little babies up in here. And listen to the word of God. Parents and their children, there should be mutual edification. Now, when the child is a baby, we pour out all our love and care, and we should. That's what a good parent does. But once the child grows up, you're going to do the chores. You're not gonna, I'm not going to slave away and, and, and do all your laundry and mop all, all the floors and clean up after your mess the whole time. No, there's, there's going to be mutual edification going on in this house. <laughs> and it's when the parents, they baby that child, they spoil that child, and they just let that child do whatever they want, that that child grows up with immaturity and foolishness. And then they come to a church like this and we got to deal with them. That's why we have the fly kick ministry. Sometimes you got to bring a divine whip, a little discipline. God disciplines his sons, those whom he loves. If you love your child, you better discipline that child and bring that child up into maturity. And when that child reaches maturity, you should be expecting some mutual education from them. Parents who say, oh, no, no, don't give me nothing. No, 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 no it's okay. You just take care of yourself. That's, that's not a healthy relationship. The healthy relationship should be, I'm getting old. Help me out. <laughs> Can you pay for dinner this time? I'm going to order steak. <clears throat> Sometimes the Confucian system, we miss this. Local churches, amongst ourselves, there should be mutual edification when we interact. Uh, between... Orphanage volunteers and the children that they serve at orphanages. There should be mutual edification. If you're, your whole thinking is all these uh, poor children, also prusanghe, you know, in Korean it's which means, oh, I pity these children. These children are so, they're so helpless. Oh, they don't have any parents. 
And that's your mentality. Now, in the beginning, of course, that's how you're going to start with. But as you sow into that child and that child is growing and you continue to keep that mentality, that's toxic right there. That's not love. You want to really love that child? You want to love that child who, who, who don't have any parents or whose parents abandoned them? Then you got to empower them. Tell them, you got to grow up. You got to seek to bless me back. You got to seek to bless this orphanage, this whole orphanage organization. You know, when, 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 a, when a child brings his first paycheck and brings it to the orphanage or brings it to his parents, that's, that's, that's Christ's love right there. Mutual edification. That's not just like Confucian honor. That's like there's a spirit there. Not everybody does that like Confucianism either. But that, that right there is what we need to aim for. It's mutual edification. We got to train these children on how to give back. This is the sign of true, healthy growth and maturity. Some people say, well, I don't mind. I love my parents. I love these children. I love my coworkers. I just want to keep helping them out. You're giving, giving, giving. They're taking, 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 taking. There's no mutual edification going on. And you're saying, I don't mind. I'll just keep doing it. But all along, resentment is growing in your heart. Oh, no, no, no. I still love them. No, estrangement is building between you. I'm telling you right now, without mutual edification, there is zero hope of a healthy, loving, trusting, life-giving relationship. This is the kind of stuff that makes, uh, this is the kind of stuff that happens to young, rich athletes. You know, this poor kid from the, from the, uh, the hood gets drafted into the NBA, gets drafted into the NFL, goes from rags to riches, signs a multi-million dollar contract, and now everybody's calling. Uncles, cousins, he didn't even know he had. Want a piece of that action. And for certain people, they have a hard time saying no. And so they're doing, they're supporting all these people's like lifestyles. And then what happens? Injury. And they can't, they can't earn that paycheck anymore. And then what happens? Everybody abandons them. And they just end up with bitterness and estrangement toward everybody who he thought was truly his family. Or people who he thought they loved him. So what's my advice for people like this? People who have a hard time saying no. What's my advice? I got three points for you. Listen, for those who have a hard time saying no, for those who are in these types of toxic relationships where all you're doing is giving but there's no mutual edification, give it, this is my advice. Number one, slowly wean them off of your help. Sometimes the most loving thing that we can do for a person who is in a toxic relationship is to let that person hit rock bottom. If the only reason they're not hitting rock bottom, like the, like the guy in the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, the only reason he returned to the father was because he hit rock bottom. There was a recession. He lost all his money. He hit rock bottom. And he said, I'm going to return to the father. But you're keeping a lot of people from hitting that rock bottom. And you're also keeping them from returning to the father. Because you're supporting their addiction. You're rewarding, you're rewarding their bad behavior. And they just are never learning for themselves. You got to wean them off of your help. Don't do it abruptly. But do it slowly. Just wean them off that help. Number two, learn to say no. You can wean them off the help. But if you say yes to five other things, you're going to be in trouble again. So learn how to say no. Do it for the sake of love. Not for the sake of com- comfort, complacency. Number three, point them to a vision of maturity and mutual edification. Even if they're completely immature and they're strung out on drugs, point them to a vision of maturity and mutual edification. And be like, young man, I know right now you're just addicted to these drugs. But let me tell you something right now. There's going to come a day where you're going to stand up on your feet and you're going to be a blessing to people. You're going to serve other people. You're going to inspire other people. Give them a vision of maturity and mutual education. And, and you know what? All these times I've been blessing you, you're going to bless me back. You're going to bless me back. You better bless me back. <laughs> Paint a picture, a vision of maturity. And if they are still being blatantly careless and cavalier, then choose to love them from a distance. 
Just love them from a distance and help them only occasionally. That's my advice for anybody who has a hard time saying no. Look, when there is a continued neglect of mutual edification, you may start to treat or see that person condescendingly. It will creep up on you whether you like it or not. If a best friend is struggling financially, can't get a job, and you're helping them out a little bit, but the goal is not mutual edification. The goal is, oh, let's just go and see where it ends up. And the person still can't get a job after a year, and you continue to help them here and there, and you continue to help them there, and they continue, you know. If that continues, you're going to start to see that person condescendingly, whether you like it or not. You see, any help that we give as brothers and sisters in Christ, as Christians, any type of giving that we do must be a giving that empowers and builds up people's dignity. If the serving and the helping and the giving is not empowering and it does not build up their dignity, it is not a Christ-centered giving, serving, and helping. You see, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very heart of the gospel points a sinner who is completely devoid of God's uh, love and doesn't know anything to do, is completely alienated from the life of God. By the grace of God, that person connects into a love relationship with God. But after that connection, it doesn't end there. Christianity, the gospel, doesn't just get you saved or ticket to heaven. The gospel is about bringing you to maturity. The Christian message is not receive Jesus so you can go to heaven. The Christian message is receive Jesus so you can be in a relationship with him so that you can mature and be like him. That the glory of God may manifest through your life. The gospel is all about mutual edification. The gospel is all about maturity. If the pattern of help that you provide somebody strips them of their dignity and causes dependency and makes you feel better than them, that is not love. That's, that's pride. This is why in my financial series about a year ago, I talked about why charity handouts, they do not work. Statistics have shown that Haiti, different countries in Africa have received the most aid of any region of the earth, and yet it gets poorer and poorer. Which shows that charity handouts do not work. When a human relationship stays purely at the level of benefactor and beneficiary, of giver and receiver, if that's the only place it stays, it turns toxic real quick. When charities are given without empowering the people and building up their dignity without an expectation of self-sufficiency, then the very charities that are designed to help can actually hurt people. So what I taught about a year ago. If you missed those sermons, I want to really encourage you to go, out, go back a year ago and listen to my five-part series on finances. That charity can destroy a person's sense of dignity, create a dependency, and then worse, a sense of entitlement. You know how many Americans in America, they feel a sense of entitlement to their food stamps? They could very well go get a job and take care of their families better. I'm not talking about all cases. I'm talking about a lot of cases. I grew up in the city. So you want to you label me as somebody who grew up in the suburbs? I didn't grow up in the suburbs. I grew up in the poor inner city of Philadelphia. And I saw people, and they had a sense of entitlement to those government checks, to those food stamps. That's just toxic. That just keeps, that perpetuates the poverty that goes on. If a human relationship does not move toward mutual education, and there is no reciprocity. Everybody say reciprocity. Reciprocity. Am I saying that right? Reciprocity. Lauren Hill talking about can I get some reciprocity? Anyway, uh, I, I totally saying that wrong. When there is no mutual application and no reciprocity, it is a relationship 
that does not know true love. The gospel is all about love and love is all about empowerment. It's about building someone up in their dignity so that they can rise up and build others up. It's the Abrahamic promise. God blesses you to be a blessing. That's the gospel right there. It's all connected. The narrative of God is all connected. The Abrahamic promise is a manifestation of the gospel. When Jesus saves you, he wants to save you, heal you, deliver you, mature you so you can be a blessing to others. Not so you can be dependent on your pastors for the rest of your life. But get away from me from, with that stuff. <laughs> and uh, let me say something. If you are a spiritual leader, you are an orphanage volunteer. You are a sunbe, an anni, a hyung, a compassion sponsor. We got to learn how to humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves and empower and encourage our subordinates, our tongsengs, our younger ones. We got to empower them to serve and be a blessing themselves. And in turn, we got to be willing to receive from them. You know, I learned this early on in my college years. <clears throat> when Brother Michael, I had a college mentor. His name was Brother Michael. He was a Hispanic Pentecostal pastor. He would just pour into my life. Bible studies, prophecies, prayers, hugs, kisses. You know, like, he's Italian, so he used to kiss me a lot. I was like, I'm Korean, please stop. You don't see Korean men kissing each other, do you? Anyway, Italians, they, they just, they just mad affection. Anyway, and uh, he would pour into me. But you know what he would do now and then? He'd be like, oh, he'd be like, Brother Christian, I'm struggling. Just pray for me. He would just go right into that position. <laughs> it's not like, can you, can you pray for me? It's like, pray for me. <laughs> oh, oh, hallelujah. I feel the, I feel the anointing. And, and I would pray, right? I would pray some like, in the beginning, I pray like these like, prayers that were like just gibberish well lord i just pray you be with him lord be with brother michael be with him lord <laughs> you know that's that's how you know the, the christian is not that mature yet when the prayer is all about lord be with him I, in the beginning i didn't pray nothing nothing spectacular but he would be he'd be like oh hallelujah oh i receive i receive and sometimes he'll be like, he'll take my hand, he'll be like, oh, put it on my head. I feel the, I feel the anointing right now. Oh, 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 it's hot, it's hot. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> he taught me quickly that whenever I get into a position of leadership like that, I got to learn how to receive myself. And so even when I was doing Campus Crusade Ministry at Columbia, I used, to, I used to ask my students, can you pray for me? You know? Yeah, I used to ask them to pray for me. I still do now and then. But I don't let no knucklehead pray for me these days. You know, I, I don't want like, Lord, be with him, be with him, be with him. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, you know, if you really insist, all right, I'll take that. But, you know, like, there's too many people here. So, you know, I, I, but I, I'll ask people. You might be, be like, well, Pastor Christian never asked me to pray for him. I'm like, all right, chill. There's like 270 of y'all right now. But I'm asking people to pray for me here and there. Maybe I need to do a little bit more. But yes, mutual edification. That's where every Christian relationship needs to head toward. That's where every healthy, loving, life-giving relationship needs to head toward. And if it's not headed toward that way, it's already becoming toxic. If we do not allow life to flow in a two-way street, pride will accumulate, dignity will diminish, and you will not have love on your hands. Even the way that God loves us. Think about that. The way God loves us. As we receive his love, he expects us to rise up. He expects us to respond. With prayer, devotion, obedience. In fact, there were. You, you, some people, their attitude would be like, well, I want to be like Jesus. He came 
not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's my attitude. I want to serve everybody. I want to bless everybody. Nobody has to give me nothing back. I'm just going to give, 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 give. And when you give, that's the way you should give. You should give with no strings attached. But when you're talking about relationships with people, if all you do is give, 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 give it, and you're not receiving, there's something wrong there. It's either pride. You're not being like Jesus. But let me tell you what Jesus did. After he died on the cross and rose again, Jesus expected a return. Let me tell you that. Maybe the mutual edification between us and God, there's a lot more coming down. But, you know, he still expects a return. He expects faith on the earth. For everyone who hears the gospel, receives the gospel, and is filled with the Holy Spirit, he expects a return. That's why you have the parables of the talents, the minas, the servants. God sows into you, and he expects you to multiply that. In fact... He expects you to give back to him more than what you received. You know why? Because the kingdom of God is like a seed. You receive it in an infant form, but you give it back to God as the largest of all garden plants. By his grace, of course. In fact, even while Jesus was on the earth, he went into certain towns and did miracles. And then he spoke judgment against certain towns like Tyre and Sidon. And he said, if the miracles that I did here were done in some of these other ancient towns, like Sodom and Gomorrah, that were or that completely got destroyed, if I did these miracles in those towns, they would have repented a while ago. What's wrong with you people? You think God doesn't expect a return? Oh, yeah, he does. It's all about mutual edification. So whether you are a spiritual leader or you are a newcomer or you're somewhere in between, let me tell you something right now. You want to bless and give and pour out your life onto others, but learn also how to receive and move that relationship. And maybe initially you pour into your small group member, but as that small group member matures, you want to start moving that thing up toward mutual edification. And when you see that small group member maturing, let them bless you. Receive from them. God may, God may release a prophetic word into your life about a huge breakthrough. And he hasn't ordained your pastor to give it. He's ordained your little, you know, speech stuttering small group member who you, you, you tend to look down on because, you know, they're always, you know, stuttering or something like that. You know what I mean? Maybe you should learn how to listen, how to receive mutual edification. Let's pray. Father, I pray your word over New Philly today. We thank you that we are no longer strangers and aliens to each other. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, the whole architecture, the whole oikodome is being joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. God, we thank you that, Lord, you're building a magnificent building, a magnificent architectural structure. You're in your church. And our prayer is that as New Philly, as a church, grows, we will each do our part to edify one another. And that in that edification, that there will be a mutual edification among all. That there's maturity happening in our uh, discipleship ministries, in our small groups, in our Emmaus uh, college ministry. That there is a maturity that's taking place, and as that maturity is taking place, there will be a deeper and deeper love and fellowship that we share with one another. Because those who fellowship in the things of God, in the revelation and the truths and the love of God, those are those who truly experience oneness with God and with each other. Lord, we want there to be oneness here in this house. Oneness, Lord. The whole structure is here 
The whole leadership structure is here. Not so that this leadership structure will glorify you, but that this leadership structure will serve to bring forth the maturity of God's people and to bring them to mutual edification till when you return, we as a people, there will be a oneness. There will be a one mind and one heart sharing and fellowshipping in the deep things of God. Build us up, Lord. And far be it from us to use any kind of words that tear each other down. Give us the grace, grant us the grace to speak words of life, words of advocation at all times. And as we build each other up, we await your glorious return. Praise you, we bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name.